Well, good evening, Freedom Fellowship. I'm so blessed to be here. I love your pastors. I love your people, the spirit that is here. Thank you. Thank you. And I thank you, Mary Lou and Pastor Harold, for the privilege of standing here. Because I count it an honor when Jesus Christ would ask me to speak on his behalf. Do you realize what an honor that is? That is an honor. And it takes a lot to get to that place where you know that he trusts you. So I don't take that for granted. I count it all joy because getting to this place and going through Gethsemane, like we talked about last night, it's not an easy thing, but it's the only place to be. Amen. Would you join with me in prayer again, please? I'd like to open in prayer. And while we do, I want to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to come and sit beside you. Ask him to speak to you individually. Because I'm a deliverer. I'm the paper girl. I'm a deliverer what he's given me. But he's going to implant it in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, and in your spirit. So let's get ready while the worship was going on. I had the most beautiful vision. I saw a table. And it was long, 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 long. And all of you were sitting at a table. And Pastor Harold was telling you, okay, let's pick up our forks. And you were getting ready to eat. So let's eat. And let's get ready to be fed by him, okay? All right. Father, we thank you for this night. Because this is the day that you have made. You said, let us rejoice and be glad in it. So, Lord, for this time that we're here gathered in your name, I want every man and woman and boy and girl that came with stress or anxiety, I want them to let go of it tonight and just sit at your table. I ask you to send angels in this room because, God, you said in Hebrews that the angels are sent out to the heirs of salvation. I ask you to send them because this is a room of people that are truly born again. I speak also to those that are on live streaming. God put angels in their home. Visit them. And may tonight bring change in their precious life. I'm not up here, Lord, for any reason. I'm here to obey my God. I want to tell you, Lord, how much I love you first. I want to tell you that I love you. You have never failed me, Father. I can truly say that you have never failed me the 40 years that I have served you. And I mean that. You have never failed me once. I thank you for that. Because you have always been here. Maybe in ways that I didn't really want to count it all joy. But you've never let me down. And you've always been here. So I ask you, Lord, that you come tonight and show your strong right arm and bring the angels and set them beside your precious people. And God, I ask you tonight to be the deliverer. You be the healer, the deliverer. You speak and give this message to your people. And God, you don't waste my time or theirs. I ask you for change to happen tonight in their hearts. I don't want this to be just another service they went to, Lord. Please, 
I want this to be a service that they never forget and that it's life-changing. Now I turn it over to you, Holy Spirit, and I ask you to completely have your way. In the wonderful name of Jesus, amen. All right, I want to ask you something. Yes, give him a praise. Give the King of kings and the Lord of lords, let's give him the honor due him. He is majestic, powerful, our healer and deliverer. Aren't you excited that he loves you and that you have him? All right, I want to ask you. This is going to be a teary night. I know it. I can feel it. So mascara will be down to here. That's all right as long as my mouth still works, right? Okay. I want to ask you, were you here last night? Okay. How many of you were? Just raise your hand. Wow. Okay. So many. All right. Now here's the test question. Did you go to Gethsemane? Did you? Did you have time to do that? Did you ask the Lord to take you through that process like Jesus did? And just to take you through your Gethsemane. Gethsemane is what? The oil press. That's what it means, oil press. So Sandra was telling me that she, what, you have a video or a, a teaching or something about, or in Israel, you learned about the oil press. What a process, right? So that's what Gethsemane means. So it, your process can be hard or easy. Remember the children of Israel. It was an 11-day journey that they turned into 40 years. Ooh, that's some rebellion, some stubbornness, and all of that mixed in there because God didn't, he never intended for it to take that long. So I want to ask you, who are you? I want to ask you, who are you? How do you see yourself? Don't answer it. I don't want to put you on the spot. But I want you to think about this. Are you happy with God's creation? Do you like yourself? You know, that was a very hard thing for me to learn, that we're supposed to love ourselves. Because we're not proud of a lot of things we do. So it's hard to love someone in rebellion, someone with bad mouth. It's, wrong. it's very hard to, someone, to love someone that you're ashamed of your actions and that you want to change it. So who are you? Because you being born and put in this earth with a job, we read about it in Ephesians chapter 1 last night, that your call, the will of God for your life is a mystery. I have a son that loves to read, used to read novels, those big thick ones. He would get on an airplane going somewhere and have all these, he just loved to read, 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 read. The Bible says that ye are his epistle, read of all men. Scary thought, right? But that's the process after you have changed and you've allowed God to have your life. And it's a process. That's why our Lord, the King of Kings, went to Gethsemane. To give up his will. So that will that we've got. God wanted to, he used Paul to speak to the people. I told you Ephesus is like Las Vegas. 
There were, there were temples there. Temp- the temple of Diana. Diana was a witchcraft temple. We argue so much in the church whether there are witches. There are. Excuse me, just one second. Pull it up just a little bit. We argue whether or not witchcraft is real or is it just a little picture of somebody with a pointed hat flying on a broom during Halloween or is it real? It is real. In Galatians, I want you to just remember this. When Paul was speaking to the church at Galatians, they started off really good when he went to minister to the church. Started off really well. Just moved right into the spirit. He goes back and visits, and they were carnal and worldly. And this is what he asked them. He said, who has bewitched you? And if you look that up in the Hebrew, you know what that means? That means who put an evil eye curse on you? Nothing's new under the sun. It says in Ecclesiastes, God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Paul saw them turn and wondered if their turning took them so strong and put them in the flesh that they had an evil eye curse on them. That's what he was asking. Who has bewitched you? And then he says that you would start off and be in the spirit, and now you've turned back to the flesh. The carnal man, and that's where so many Christians are. You're coming out of that. We're dealing with that now, and your precious pastors. But the Bible says the carnal man is enmity against God. And that word enmity means enemy. So to move us into operating in the gifts, especially the gift of discerning of spirits that we're going to talk about tonight, takes you crucifying that carnal man. And that is a process. Because, wow, my husband and I were just talking this last week. And A man, men think more mechanical than women do. And if you want to really test that out, read a book called Understanding the Mind of a Woman. It is amazing. Understanding the Mind of a Woman. It's a great book. And I recommend it for any marriage because it tells that men are mechanical in their thinking and women are emotional. So with the mechanical part of thinking, when a washing machine needs to be fixed at home. The man, sorry guys, I'm just going to step on your toes for a minute. But mostly the man will stand there and he'll go, okay, I need to go get my tools. Now maybe you've just been praying. I'm telling on me and my husband, Brett. So you've just been praying. Sorry, Brett, I know you're watching this, but you're a good example tonight. So here you are, we've just been praying. The washing machine does need to be repaired. There's probably an old sock or something stuck in there. And the Lord just spoke to me. He said, I want two more hours. Okay, so Brett's through with our regular time. He's running out of the room to get his toolbox. Oh, wow. Okay, the carnal man is enmity against God. Okay, for that minute, I'm not saying he's God's enemy. He loves God, and God loves my husband. So, but that incident? He was carnal. He wasn't waiting on God, and he was going for the toolbox. So he missed God. 
No, he didn't because I pulled him back in the room. And I, saw, I showed him what God had told me, that he wanted us to spend more time with him. And, wow, it was amazing what he told us. Things coming, where to be, what to do. You need direction from God. You don't want to make it for yourself. And so many people do not go to God for their direction. So I want to ask you, who are you? Are you, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And you're standing right there at that place where maybe you need to go to Gethsemane, but you're dodging it. Maybe you need to go to the caves, like he put David in the caves to change him. There's something that you need to do to change, but you just refuse to come on in. Reading the word, praying, don't have time for it. Well, you accepted Jesus, and when you accepted him, hear me, you signed up for an army. You got drafted. You did not accept him to sit down and make up your own carnal mind, the things you're going to do. You accepted him to die to yourself. And that's the breaking that he has to do in you. So that you will get your marching orders from the Holy Spirit. And you will not miss God and miss God and miss God. While I was in Bible college, one of my favorite professors, Dr. Belcher, he always taught new classes. I took several of his classes over just because I loved him. And he said, there are four things in a believer's life. If you don't get these areas right, you're not going to find the, the really, you're not going to have an epiphany with God, is what he would say. You're not going to have that experience with the Holy Spirit where you're living in his will. First thing, go to church where the Holy Spirit leads you. You may not want to. The drive may be too far. But go where God tells you. There will be growth there. The next thing, work where God wants you. Don't go just get a job because you want a job or you need money. Go where Jesus sends you. Spend time praying about that job. Find out what it is he wants you to do. He may even change your profession. But if he does, you're going to be trained by the Holy Spirit. He'll do something. So where you go to church, where you work, where you live, is so important. You may be, you know, how many of you heard about the Allen shooting at the mall? That's behind my alley. That's just right out my back door. So, thank God we're protected. And um, one of my sons heard the bullets as he was driving close by. I guess he had just left the house. And he either turned around and came home. I don't know the exact details, but... Yeah, he heard it. So, praise God, we live at the right place. That was a little scary, but we were safe. So, where you go to church, where you work, where you live, and the next thing, who you marry. That you marry in God's will. Not because she's pretty, not because she's smart, not because she can help you make a lot of money, because God put his hand on that marriage. So, where you go to church, where you work, where you live, and who you marry, that's a recipe for walking in the divine counsel of the Holy Spirit. You get those four things right, 
and you're going to see your life move into the blessings of God. Now, let's read because Mary Lou has asked me to minister on discerning of spirits. How important is that today, right? In the past, we have had, and I'm not going to name names. I don't like to come against ministries. We all make mistakes, right? But in the past, there was one large ministry, television ministry, and even the, the person had to go to prison for a while. He wrote a book and said, I was wrong. He admitted it and repented mightily. The discernment that people had to give was way off. There were $267,000 given to pay off someone who that pastor had an affair with. Wow. That was such a waste of God's money. And I'm not coming against the person, but I'm talking about discernment of the people that sent it in. There was something lacking, and I'm going to step on it again. No Gethsemane, no going to the caves like David, no being broken, just wanting to be a part of that and just send it in because a lot of manipulation happened on television. So they just wanted to be a part of that, and they sent it in. I don't think when it was sent in, they knew they were going to be, it was payola for a fair. How sad that God's money was spent that way. Then we had another big ministry where I loved this pastor. I visited the church for years, three, and I know that he loved God. I know he was a man of God. And when he started off, he was a preacher. My kids started a school there, private school, and uh, it was a wonderful school. Money got a hold of him. And the church grew and grew and grew and grew. Where were Christians with the discernment to not be a part of that? Wine, women, and song. is the, That's the biggest fall of so many ministers. And so it would have been so awesome if somebody didn't have to come, let it be on the news all the time, this guy that was chasing him, and it hurt so many believers. It would have been awesome. If there were a whole lot of praying people that had the discernment and they stopped giving all those millions, hundreds of thousands of dollars, that should have been happening. But I don't believe the gifts are taught enough. Do you? I don't think we're taught what they are and how to flow them, flow in them. So the fall of many, there was a minister that I love very much again. And he made a statement on television, I'm sure you'll know who it is, that if he didn't raise 5.8 million dollars that God would take his life do you remember that oh where was the discernment I want to tell you if that hurt you God would never tell you that if you don't raise 5.8 million dollars he's going to kill you is that the God you know Pastor Harold and Pastor Mary Lou is that the God you know no and that's not the God you teach this church about So, no, God would never do that. So, look at the lack of discernment because he got it. He got it like a month before God was supposed to kill him if he didn't get it. Isn't that sad? Look at all that waste of God's money that could have fed people, that could have helped the homeless. Oh, my goodness, look at that lack of money. 
So I want to ask you a question as I ask you, who are you? You ever think about a jeweler? I was thinking about something I read in a book this afternoon. And I wasn't even going to get into this, but do you know what the jeweler does with his fine eye? He searches silver or gold, gems. And you know what he looks for? And this is the eye of our Lord. He looks for value. Who can you say amen? That's what the eye of the jeweler, when they fold down that little thing that's up on their head and they look in these gems. That's why they can appraise something and say, well, no, this is not even real. The value is not this and this and so. Because they look for value. That's the jeweler of our God. He's looking for value. And as we sang the songs about David and Goliath and how David was made and created into something that God had to polish up. You know, God's ways are not our ways. And we judge man by the outer appearance. How horrible. How horrible that is. Because God picked the little ruddy guy that was behind the other brothers. And he took him and made him into a king. Now... Where are you in the process? I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. Have you stagnated? Have you begun growth with the Holy Spirit while you were a believer when you first got saved? Where are you now? Have you sat down and just laid the Holy Spirit over here for a while and now you're living your carnal life, which carnal man is enmity with God? Or have you let God take you to Gethsemane and go through the wine press? It's not easy, but I want to tell you, God's right there with you, any trial you've got. So I want to say to you, if drinking is your problem, God is right there with you, just waiting for you to cry out and ask him for help, because he's going to help you. If anger and temper and loss of self-control is your problem, oh my goodness, go on and grow. Come out of Gethsemane and let him heal you and take you and change you so that the jeweler can find value and use you. Amen? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and let's read about the gifts for a moment. First, uh, yes, First Corinthians chapter 12. And when the Lord began to speak about the gifts, he wasn't talking to the babes in Christ. There were babes in Christ. But he began to speak. I'm way back here. To 1 Corinthians 12. Let's go about... There are diversities of spiritual gifts. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you be ignorant. So God wants you to grow and learn about the gifts. Amen? And not be ignorant of them, how they operate, 
Not to have a total lack of discernment like all the people that mailed in money to those ministries that we just discussed. He wants you to spiritually discern his eye, his thoughts, his will. So he says, you know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols even as you were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. And that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Spirit. Now there are diversities of gifts but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations but the same Lord. And these are, there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. That the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another the word of knowledge, the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. That gift is given as God so chooses to disperse it. Not everyone operates in it. Everyone pretty much wants to. But there are diversities of gifts, and not everyone is going to operate all in the same gifts. Even in Ephesians 4.11, we won't go there now, but Paul was saying he gave some to the church, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers. He gave some. He didn't give everyone the gifts to be in the body of Christ. He was blessing the body of Christ. That's why Pastor Harold and Mary Lou have to discern. And they have to operate in the spirit of discerning of spirits so they know who in this church has the call of evangelism on their life. So they know, and I understand you have a uh, Ron Campbell. I think I'm going to sit down. Sciatic nerve is starting to really hurt. So y'all don't mind if I sit down, do you? Um, so you have a prophet right here. And... He's a blessing in this church. Amen? Amen. And Pastor Harold and Mary Lou know him. And so he operates in that gift of prophecy. And he will see things because with the gift of prophecy, you will also operate many times with that word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. And you will see things over someone's life that other people will not see. So as Pastor Harold and Mary Lou knew that he was called to uh, Freedom Fellowship, you're blessed by him being here. You have a prophet in the midst, and he'll see things that other people won't see unless you have that keen prophetic eye. But what are your gifts with discerning of spirits? Which ones of you have it? What a journey to find that out, and it's so fun to be in a prayer meeting, and all of a sudden, 
someone begins to operate. We're not just talking about, okay, we've been praying for this person or that situation. I, I was assistant pastor at a Messianic church for eight years in Plano. So we held prayer meetings every week. And there, uh, there were a lot of Korean people there, a lot of Asians, and a lot of Messianic people. So it was really exciting to watch the operation of the gifts in that church. There were people in a prayer meeting where the Holy Spirit would ignite on them, and they didn't understand why they knew what they knew. It was beautiful to watch the gifts operate. And so I love that something so precious that God has given me. And it's, I just know people. And prophetically, I think that's what it is. I think that's a gift. And I just know what you're like and what you're going to do. I feel it. The Lord shows me. And I could just tell you, don't get a job like that. Pray about this because I saw you doing this and that. And I share that with a lot of people because I'll see their call. And it's so fun to watch them walk over in it, get in it, find a job in that direction. I was uh, at a little cleaning company uh, one year. Well, it was for 14 years. And, yeah, one year, 14 years. So I was over at this precious woman's house one day, and if if somebody didn't show up, I would go help uh, for the cleaning that day, no matter how many houses they had. So this particular day, somebody didn't feel well. They weren't there, and I went. And so I'm in this lady's office, and I'm stacking her little papers, and it's her office where she had up on the computer her school. So she's going to nursing school. And so I just glanced at it for a minute, and I hear the Lord say to me, he said, she's not a nurse. She's a realtor, and she is going to be a broker that makes a lot of money, if you'll tell her. She was a Christian, spirit-filled Christian. Name was April. Hi, April, if you're out there somewhere. But so I went to her, and I said, say, talk to me about your walk with the Lord and nursing school. She says, oh, I hate it. I'm having to make myself go through that thing, and I hate the studying. I've got a test tomorrow. I was waiting until y'all got through cleaning. I said, are you open to hearing a word from the Lord. She said, yes, I sure am. So I said, let's go sit down while the other people clean. Let's go have a cup of coffee. We went and sat down. And I said, how much did nursing school cost you? Well, it was several thousand dollars. I said, well, you just wasted all that money. I hate to tell you. But you're going to make it up if you'll listen to me. She goes, are you a prophet? And I said, well, I'm blessed that way. I do speak prophetically. She said, okay, let's hear it. Will you pray over me? I said, well, he already talked to me in there at your office. She said, what is it? I said, you're a realtor that's going to turn into a broker. Oh, my gosh, I love real estate. I just love it. It's not hard for me. One time I started to get my realtor's license. I said, you should have. You missed God. She goes, I'm through nursing school. Yahoo! She was so obedient. It was funny. She took, got her realtor's license. Oh, my goodness. She's a big giver. She loves to bless ministries. And she is a broker now. And I don't know how many real estate 
people she's got working under her. And she buys cabins and uses them for VRBOs in Oklahoma, just up by uh, what's it? Turner Falls. And so now, the last time I talked to her, she's got eight cabins that she rents out, and they were looking to buy four more. It's just success, success, success. And she has all these realtors working on, under her. You know why? Because she allowed the will of God to just change her life, change everything. And that allowing sometime, who in the world told her to go to nursing school? She was the last person to be a nurse. She was so funny. She said, I wondered how I was going to be a nurse. She says, I don't have any compassion for people. <laughs> and I said, wow, that's a problem. She said, yeah, I've been praying for it. And I've been asking God to give me patience. I said, you don't ever pray for patience. Yeah, he will give you all kinds of situations where you have to learn to be patient. I said, don't ask for patience. <laughs> ask him to help you walk through whatever he puts you through. So today, April is so very successful and so very happy. So her husband was um, managing a Brahms and was just getting ready to manage another one. He's a real estate agent with her. And, boy, their business just takes them out of state. They're buying not, not big high-rise buildings, but they're buying some commercial buildings now. It's just unbelievable. It is what God did. That's why I said, who are you? If you'll take some time and search, and I call it down in your knower, you have a knower of something, and let me help teach you this. I used to love to do this as a pastor when people come in my office. And here you have to work with the spirit of discernment. We're going to look at it here in the Bible just for a minute. But I used to ask them, what are you good at? They'd come to see me. They were miserable, didn't like their jobs, kind of like April, going to be a nurse. And I'd say, what's the love that you have as far as work down in your knower. And they'd go, what's your knower? And I go, it's your spirit, where the Holy Spirit just comes and you get this warm, fuzzy, you know he's talking to you, and all of a sudden it's just dropped in your spirit, and you don't even know where that came from. It's just a thought. And all of a sudden it comes in your spirit. A and maybe the Holy Spirit will say, you know why you talk so much? And you sit there and be quiet. And he'll say, this, this actually happened to one of my clients. He'll sit there and say, because you're a salesman. <gasps> I love sales. I just never had a chance to really get out there and do it. I said, I, I'm a network of people. I'm going to hook you up with somebody. So right now, he started off, and he's selling computer parts for data. That's a lucrative business. So, and it's not about the money, it's about the happiness. Because if you get in the center of the will of God, and I mean in the center of it, he'll bless it. You won't have to worry about money. If you start tithing and you don't miss a time of tithing, ooh, and that's what April did. She's such a giver. And she knew how to cause him to be the captain of that job. She surrendered. She told me, I said, so who's going to be your CEO? She said, Jesus. He's the CEO. I'm in the back seat, she said. So that's why she is being so blessed. All right. So 
finding those four areas is going to take discerning of spirits, right? For you to hear from God who you're supposed to marry. I've seen people have to break up engagements because they missed God. Sandra, I bet you see that. Amen? But if you love them and you love the Jesus that they serve because how he can use a happy person that loves what they're doing. Oh, he can bless you and cause you to be so blessed in all ways because you find his will. So back to that. Down in your knower. Now, last night, how many of you after the service last night went home and repented? Did you really? Repentance is awesome. It'll change your life. You need to spend time with God to repent every day. It's, you know, you repented and asked him to come into your heart when you got saved. That's not the end of it. It should be a daily walk. You should cleanse yourself. Not that you're out here and you're these rank sinners. But when you lay your head on that bed, like he says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Make things right so that you don't go to sleep with a lot of anger. But if you will take care of the sin in your life and let the discerning of spirits convict you, let the Spirit of God show you things that you just need to make right, your life will be so much more blessed if you walk a life of repentance. So I encouraged you last night before we pray for everybody and and pray for the discerning of spirits to go home and just repent. And you can do it sitting here. Just ask God to forgive you and to cleanse you where you have shortcomings. Wow, he loves you. And he's not standing there waiting to beat you over the head with a baseball bat. He loves you. And he's a forgiving God. And there are times he just wants you to come to him with repentance Because remember yesterday when we were reading about in Ephesians 1, where Paul said that you have spiritual blessings in, you have blessings in heavenly places. Without a repentant heart, those things can't be loosed. That's why it said they're in spiritual places. Did you know, and I know your pastors have taught this, in Malachi chapter 3, when it talks to you about tithing, Did you know that a curse is on your finances without tithing? Did you know that? It says so in Malachi. So your your money, if you're working at, I don't care what company, if you're working at, at the window at McDonald's, if you're not a tither, then your money is cursed. When that's not something you have to go through raving, screaming, deliverance, breaking all this off of you, and sometimes it takes that kind of massive deliverance. All you have to do to break that curse is you write your tithe check, drop it in that bucket, and the curse is broken. Now that's the truth, because that's the word of God. Amen, Pastor? That is the word of God. And because of this church and the kind of man and woman of God that your pastors are. It's easy to say that in this church because there's so many ministries that manipulate their people to give. But I've got news for you. This is not a manipulating couple. You know that. And they're not going to manipulate you. And I know there's so many people on TV and televangelists and stuff that it's like you can't listen to a message on giving. 
But the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So when you walk in obedience and write that tithe check and drop it in, curse is broken. There it is. It is broken. Now, when you've got things on you from God, not man or the devil, whew, I want those broken first. Amen? I want those things broken. If you don't forgive, do you know forgiveness is so valuable in your life and in your walk? If you don't forgive, hello, now don't get mad at God over this. God sends the tormentors to torment you until you do. That's the word of God. I didn't write it. Matthew 34. He said it. He said, God, if you don't forgive from your heart, that God will send the tormentors. There's no way to have deliverance from those tormentors until you forgive. And you, those of you that were here last night, you heard my testimony. Did I have to do some forgiving? Whew. I had to do some forgiving in that marriage. Yeah. And that's why it feels so good. I know where I was, and I know the day that I completely forgave him. And, I mean, it just lifted like weights, like heavy weights off of me. And I completely forgave him. We've been to dinner and, and around grandkids and things like that since. I do not have any anger or bitterness at him. I did. I shared with you that part, too. And I had the tormentors that were driving me crazy because they were harassing me and harassing me and harassing me all the time. And that spirit that Frank Hammond saw in me and cast it out. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. But it, they were harassing me because what the devil wanted me to do was to murder him, not have a ministry where I helped other people. That's what he wanted. He wanted to put me away. And I was willing to help him there for a while. Yeah, I thought, well, Lord, use me. I'm going to put this man out of his misery. Yeah, come on, let's do it. I didn't know if I'd go to prison or not because I had a lot of pictures. And, um, you know, I didn't know if the police would do it or not. But I was ready for that, too. So the tormentors were working on me nonstop. I mean, I knew every room that had a weapon in it because I hid them there. <laughs> what can I say? I mean, the devil is crazy, right? So, yeah, I knew where they were. And if he hit me this way, I could reach under this table and get it like this way. <laughs> and if he pushed me into the cabinet in the kitchen, oh, I had that drawer fixed right there where I could get it. Yeah. So the tormentors were trying to get me in a situation where I would never preach the word of God or minister deliverance to anybody. And that's what he wants to do is take your life. So discernment, the discerning of spirits is so valuable. I cannot say it enough. And I want you to see something. Let's look, let's look back here at 1 Corinthians. I think it's 10, uh, chapter 12, verse 10. When it says, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, discerning of spirits. You know, I think if we all operated in all of the gifts, it'd be really hard to be around that person. Wouldn't it? 
oh my goodness, they'd see a demon behind your shoulder and on the floor and around. You'd be driving them crazy because then you'd have a word of prophecy for them. Well, I know God doesn't want you living over there in that neighborhood. You're supposed to live over there. No, she's not from God. You can't marry her. She, you, break up that engagement. Oh my goodness gracious. So I know that's why he said to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits. But look what he says. He says in verse 11, But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body so also in christ for they be one spirit are we all baptized unto one body rather we be jews or gentiles rather we be bond or free and have been all made to drink into one spirit for the body is not one member but many if the foot shall say because i am not the hand i am not of the body is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? See, isn't that so simplistic the way he says it? If everybody was an eye, you're not going to your nose is not going to work, right? So he spreads it out so that the church will have those that are valuable, like who the jeweler. The jeweler is kind of like what Pastor Harold and Mary Lou are the jewelers. They have to look for value. And that's what the pastor's called to do, is to look for the value. They have a hard job. I pastored for 16 years. Still kind of do. I have clients that come to me, and I mentor and pastor them. But the eye of the jeweler, oh, my goodness. When you go to a gemologist, uh, my husband, Brett, is a geologist. So he has friends, very close friends, that were gemologists. And, oh, he used to tell me stories about how the gemologist, he made our wedding rings. I don't have it on. My fingers been really hurting after the wreck, and I clenched the steering wheel and everything, so I've got to do something about that. But he called to interview us about the rings, and he wanted to know what was in my heart about a wedding ring not just going to buy a ring. It was really interesting, our conversation. And he wanted to know what I wanted in it, on it, and tell me what you like. And he's such a gemologist. Oh, my goodness. I was loving the way he was talking to me. I said, I want the Holy Spirit on that ring. I just want to see a flame because God is going to send Brad and I together, and we're going to go with fire. So how about this wedding ring really means something. So he put a flame up on a band. I didn't want diamonds or anything. I just wanted the ring, just the flame. So it's a beautiful ring that he made, but he had that eye. 
and he made a flame to go on the string. It's really intricate, and it's so neat. So that's how Jesus is with you. He's looking for value. And if he gives you the spirit of discerning of spirits, he's going to, it's going to intensify and get better and better and better. How many of you in here already, and don't be embarrassed in front of your pastors, how many of you already know that you operate in that discerning of spirits? Now, wait, don't answer me yet. You might have been hurt in a church before here in your giving and taking advantage of. And you did have a discerning of spirits. And maybe you gave too much and you shouldn't have because it wasn't used right. Or discerning of spirits has to operate in your own finances because of the changes that are coming in the world with our money and our finances and buying gold and silver. You have to discern what the voice of God is, what the eye of the jeweler is for you. You have to know what he wants you to do. And even just discerning in this day and time, what bank to use? Who is going to be faithful and are we going to shut down? You have to operate personally in a discerning of spirits in this day and time, don't you? Oh, you've got to operate in it. How many of you, this is why I was asking you, who are you? You need to know who you are in your knower. You need to know what you're capable of. You need to know how to use the spirit of discerning of spirits because it's going to take you to different places. It's going to bless you. It'll stop you. It'll put the brakes on. It'll, tell you, it'll free you. How many of you think you already have some of that and operate in it? Raise your hand. That is so good. That's very good. And it's very good that you are willing to just say you've got it and you know it. It's so important that you know who you are. You have to know who you are in God. He trains you. Hear me. I want to look at you so clearly and see your eyes and your beautiful faces and tell you, you are so unique in God and he wants to pour out the gifts upon you so that you'll be better and better and better. And that the value in you compares to nobody else because you're unique and individual and uniquely made. And you need to see that in yourself, that he wants to use every one of you in this room. I remember sitting in a little church over off of Greenville Avenue, called Agape Fellowship, and that's where I learned warfare. But I remember sitting there. That's where I met Frank Hammond and Ida May. I remember sitting there listening and listening to the speakers that came. That's how I found out about Art Katz and the China and went to a seminar. I remember sitting there thinking, and I know you've done this. I look out here and I see it. How could God ever use me? I've got too much junk in my life. I wouldn't even know. I have a secret life. People don't know me. Oh, it feels so good to have a clean life in your open book. I didn't mind at all sharing that testimony about that sour marriage with you guys. You know why? Because it changed my life. 
It gave me character. Until you go through trials, you don't build character. You wouldn't know to operate in the discerning of spirits until you go through some trials and maybe losses. Messed up, bought the wrong car. It was a lemon. Bet you won't next time. Or like we did, put gasoline from a 7-Eleven. And then your friend who works at an oil company tells you, oh, don't do that. They fill up all the gas. They give the rock gut stuff, he called it. The rock gut stuff goes to stop and go in 7-Elevens. Don't ever buy gas at those places. That's what, yeah, that's what he told us. Mm -hmm. And you know that clattering you'll get? It's not the engine. That clattering you'll get when you take off. You ever had that in your car? Yeah, that's the rock gut gas. Mm Mm-hmm. It's almost like gasoline with water in it. (laughs) It's terrible. So you have to learn. And sometimes your Gethsemane is going to cause, it's going to take the loss of a car because you messed up. And sometimes, you know what it takes? A sweet little will that's just surrendered to Jesus. And all you want is him. And you free him up. To do in you whatever he needs to do to change you. Let's take a look at a man that God loved so much. And I want to talk to you about the real training for discerning of spirits. Because you see that it's there. You have to have it now. But let's look at God's training. Go with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 13. We're not going to be real long here because we're going to pray. We're going to look at this precious guy that was ruddy. Even his own dad thought his brothers were going to be the one that was called upon. Well, Chronicles, where did you go? And so when God called David, this is what's interesting. David, boy, me and this podium are just not doing real good. I think I'm going to scoot this over here. Is that all right? If I do that and just pull this over here. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Thank you. I'm sorry. I should be standing like I need to, but this hip won't let me yet. Next time I come, it'll work. Okay. Everybody's telling me I need a chiropractor, so that's probably what I need to do. All right. First Chronicles chapter 13. Now. Take this into now. Let's take this into the now. Wow, that's so much better. Hi, okay. Now, let's let's jump in and put the word of God now, okay? It's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Amen? That's what it says. Okay, let's take this analogy and let's put it in your life right now, okay? And that's how I want you to go with me and let's walk through these scriptures. And I want you to think about you and how God's going to come and get a hold of you to train you. Because every one of you in this room have a job to do for God. Whether you know it or not yet, you do. And he's called you before the foundations of the earth. And now that you've given him your heart, you have to find his plan. There's not anybody he left out. He's got a plan for you. And it's so fun finding it and finding who you are and what he wants out of you. And so that he finds the value, like the jeweler, the jeweler's eye. Okay, now, the church, we're going to compare the church then with the church now. 
the ark representing the anointing and the presence of God because we didn't have Jesus yet. So the ark, and they carried it on the cart, and it had been out of Israel for a very long time. Now, David decides without the spirit of discernment. David decides and makes up his own mind. Now, what's the carnal mind? Enmity against God. So David decides that he's going to take the ark back. And it's so interesting what he said here when he went to the children of Israel. He goes to them and asks them. Look at 13, 1 Chronicles chapter 13. And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. So he went and had a talk. He goes and called. Now, where was his prayer meeting here? This is important. The ark's coming in. Wow, that represents the presence of God. So he didn't ask God. He goes to the leaders. That's what's wrong with so many churches of today. I'm going to tell you, they're not built on a foundation of prayer. I have many friends that are pastors, and they don't even have a prayer life. Many that are pastoring churches right now that I've stayed friends with out of the first Bible college that I went to, they are like, you are the prayingest woman I've ever heard of. I can't ever get you. You're always praying. I'm like, well, you should be. <laughs> you know, so I, I get God's direction, and I want to hear him. I don't want to do things carnally. I want to hear the spirit of God. That's what we're called to do. And especially now. When we have the threats that, you know, the one world government is going to operate and, and uh, do something about our churches, we don't want that. We want to stand strong as pastors and ministers. We just want the anointing to get stronger, and we want God to bless everything we put our hands to. So now, here David, he messes up first thing right off the bat. No discernment. And it says, so he consulted with uh, thousands and hundreds and with every leader. Boy, that's a lot of people talking without the spirit of discernment, right? Nobody even sent him to prayer. Okay. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, if it seem good unto you, and that it be all right with the Lord. Wow, he got that backwards, didn't he? If you guys like that we're going to take the ark back in, and if it's okay with God. That was totally backwards. Okay. So he says, if it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests, the Levites, which are <clears throat> in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us, and let us bring again the ark of our God to us. For we inquired not at it, in the days of Saul. And all the congregation said that they would do so. No prayer life, no discerning there. For the thing was right in the eyes of all who? God? No, all the people. So all the people were in agreement without the spirit of discernment operating, and they all were operating in the carnal mind. And it said thousands. That's a lot of missing God together in a group, isn't it? 
Now, let me tell you one thing that the Lord told me about this chapter. We have churches. Oh, that worship was so good today. Thank you for that. It was beautiful. It made me cry. I love worship when you just weep before God. The worship at so many churches, it's beautiful. And it's ushering the presence of God into a certain amount. And we're trying to bring in the presence of God. But we're not in the will of God as leaders. I'm not saying me, and I'm not saying Pastor Harold Mary Lou or Dr. Sandra. I'm just saying I know pastors, or Pam and Betty. I know pastors that have a big, huge worship service, and they've got all the instruments and everything, and I had to get up and leave the last service that I went to because, yes, I could feel the presence of God there, but it was so carnally done. I know that sounds like flip of the coin. It was so carnal because after all that worship, they came with the announcements of all the things they were going to do, a long list in the church. And see, I happen to know there's no prayer life in that church. They don't have a prayer meeting. I know that they make their own mind up. They consult with all the leaders as here. And the decisions are not made from God. The decisions in your life have to be made according to the Holy Spirit. If those people at that mall behind my house had have prayed before they went to that mall and heard the Holy Spirit, they'd be alive right now because the Holy Spirit would have told them, don't go. Or this other way, they could have spent a lot of time in prayer for that man. They could have taken authority over any assignment because God could have shown them. And, you know, I have a precious prayer person that prays with me a lot, Carmen. And she went over there. She was getting ready. I think it was her daughter's. She has one daughter and three grandchildren. So they were, she went to an ATM to get money to go to the mall that afternoon. So she pulled up into the mall, and it's so crowded, and it's just, you just cannot get to the stores easy. And she likes to go there because it's not walking through the mall. It's just going into one store. But the parking was so ridiculous, they decided, oh, we're just going to leave. Look at that. God turned them away from there. She's a praying woman, and she always declares God, order my steps. Keep me away from where I'm not supposed to be. But loose me to go into the presence of your will for me today. Even a simple prayer like that with the Holy Spirit leading you is awesome. So we have to have God lead us. Now, here we have David in rebellion. Let's call it that. David was in rebellion because he said, quote, If it be all right with you, leaders, and... If it be all right with the Lord. Just cram God over here in second place, right? That's backwards. That is not how you, let's say you take a checkbook. And you need to operate in the spirit of discernment. And you've got something big that you're going to buy for your house. Let's say your air conditioning unit goes out. And you've got two units over there on the side of your house. And you don't pray about it at all. 
and you just go get a number out of the phone book and you call somebody and they come and you pay triple price because then you meet somebody later at a prayer meeting who says, wow, you should have called me. We would have done it for less than half. Those things happen all the time to people that I know because guess what? They literally didn't seek God at all about it. Are you guys going to get your children? Okay, they know that they can come back. Yeah, you can come back in here and bring your kiddos. Okay, so moving right along. So here we have David in rebellion and all the leaders in rebellion. So let's look at the example when God trained him. God was teaching him how to operate in the spirit of discernment. That's what this story is about. Now, let's go on here. And he says, verse 4, And all the congregation said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. That was David's first mistake right there. So David gathered all Israel together from Shehar of Egypt, even unto the entering of Hemeth, to bring the ark of God from kerjath Jerem. It's not often I'll read a whole chapter, but this is important. We're going to read half of it. And David went up in all Israel to Balah, that is to kerjath Jerem, which belonged to Judah, to bring up thence the ark of God, the Lord that dwelleth between the cherubims, whose name is called on it. Now, God was going to train his king, right? He wasn't ready. He was operating in the carnal mind, in the carnal man. God wants you out of being carnal. He wants you to develop the discerning of spirits in your life. That's what I see happening with great prayer meetings. You, if you're in, enjoined in a prayer meeting where the gifts are moving, and you're praying in tongues and taking people's individual needs and everybody joins in, you're going to hear a word about this person, maybe that somebody else doesn't. A warning, a word, a correction, something God will give you. But you have to pull away and spend time so you can hear him. So that spirit will operate. Now, God's got to train this boy. He gathered all the leaders and said, if it's all right with you guys, and, you know, he just kind of pushed God into that. That's sad. All right. So he says, verse 7, and they carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab and Uzzah, and Ahiho drove the cart. And David and all Israel played before God with all their might and with singing and with harps and with psalteries and with timbrels and with cymbals and with trumpets. And when they came unto the threshing floor of Chedon, Uzzah, Put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because he put his hand to the ark. And there he died before God. Now, next sentence. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, wherefore that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. Now, look at verse 12, seriously. And David was afraid of God. What? David was what? David was afraid of God. He wasn't before, now was he? He wasn't afraid of God at all because he said, if this thing be all right with all you leaders, oh yeah, and if it's okay with God. But now he's afraid of God because God killed somebody to get his attention. 
So only the Levites in custom were allowed to touch the ark, and Uzzah was not one. So he reached and touched the ark, and it was not custom to do that, and God killed him. Now, God had a whole lot of reasons for that breach upon Uzzah, and he was training a king. This king had to hear the voice of God. He had to operate in that spirit of discerning of spirits, didn't he? He's going to be a king. He can't lead carnally all these leaders, thousands of them. It was so important to God to train his son that somebody died over it. But at the moment he did, David was afraid of God. So let me tell you, if you're taking notes, the first thing you've got to learn in operating in the discerning of spirits to be the leader that God's called you to be is you've got to learn the fear of God, the true reverential fear of God. There has to be a time that you say in your life, oh, I can't go into that place. Oh, but it's a restaurant with a bar. But God told me to stay out of those places. There's spirits in bars. Alcoholism. All kinds of spirits hovering in those places. That's why they're dark. Why do you think on liquor stores it says beer, wine, and spirits? They just tell you you're going to come in there and buy it and you can take the spirits home with you, right? Yeah. So honestly, there's things that you need to fear God over and not do. And even Joe Brown over here can do it. But if God's brought to you to operate in that spirit of discerning of spirits and know his will for your life, you can't let Tom over here or Bob affect you. You have to walk in the true fear of God. So that's the first thing he was doing with this king to be was teaching him, buddy, you better fear me because you were leading all these leaders and you didn't have fear of me at all. You just shoved me behind when I should have been first in that decision. Amen? Okay, now David's afraid. And you know what? He's upset with God. He's upset with him. So it says, it says, and they carried the ark. Okay, and then, and David When they came up into the threshing floor, okay, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him, which means, okay, he killed him. And David, verse 12, was afraid of God that day. I'm telling you, going to Gethsemane doesn't take forever. He should have gone to Gethsemane before. That wouldn't have had to happen, maybe. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, how shall I bring the ark of God home to me? Now he's going to pray. He says, so David brought not the ark home to himself to the city of David, but carried it aside unto the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in the house three months, and the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had, because that was the presence of God. That was the anointing. And it was in Obed-Edom's house, and boy, the blessings just took over. Now, Fear of God, David learned to operate in the spirit of discernment. But what's next? He's training his boy to operate in the spirit. And know that I have a plan for you, David, and I should come first. Don't go asking the people. 
That's a hard job on a pastor. We have leaders and staff. I had it in church. But you better go to the Lord in prayer. Isn't that right, pastors? You, you take those leaders with you and you set that example of we're going to go to God before we build this building or we buy this. We're going to hear God not do what David said. So next, what they do. Now he's going to continue training David. And the ark is in Obed-Edom's house and he's being blessed. And so... <clears throat> Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and timber of cedars with masons and carpenters to build him a house. And David perceived that the Lord had confirmed him king over Israel. That's that spirit of discernment starting to operate in him. It says David perceived. And when you look that up, David had a knowing from the spirit of God. That's what discernment is. So he, dis- he perceived that he was king. Now let's skip on down. He was living his life. He didn't want to leave there because he was afraid of God. And verse 8, 14, 8. And when the Philistines heard that David was anointed king over all Israel, all the Philistines went up to seek David, and David heard of it and went out against them. And the Philistines came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephraim. And David inquired of God. David did what? David inquired of God. He, God smote somebody. They died. But he feared God, right? And now because of that fear of God, he inquired of God. That should have happened before. And David inquired of God, number one, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines, and wilt thou deliver them into mine hand? And the Lord said unto him, Go up. So he got the freedom and the order from God, not the leaders. Good, good, good for David. So they went up. They came up to Belpezarim, and David smote them there. Then David said, God hath broken in upon mine enemies by mine hand, like the breaking forth of waters. Therefore, they called the name of that place Baal Perazim. Now, battle number two. When God does something in our lives, we usually, history repeats itself. And we'll remember when we prayed how the answer came and many 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 times we'll say well you know what uh if you're a garage door hanger this situation came up with me and a client and i shared with him this story because he had a disaster he sought god about hanging this lady's garage door turned out perfect And the next two that he did, he did the same way, and it was a disaster. So I sat down and shared with him this story. And look what David did again. Verse 11, so they came up to Baal Perazim, and David smote them there. And then David said, God hath broken in upon mine enemies. Okay, go on down. And verse 12, and when they had left their gods there, David gave a commandment, and they were burned with fire. And the Philistines yet again spread themselves abroad in the valley. Therefore, David inquired again of God. Wow. What happened? The fear of God was changing him. The fear of God was going to 
causing him to operate in the discerning of spirits. So he inquired of God the first time, and God said, go up. He meant he had protecting. Verse 14, it says, David therefore inquired again of God, and God said unto him, go not up. Wow. God does, God's ways are not our ways. He's not always going to tell you to do the same thing just like you did before. You have to form a prayer life operating in the spirit of discerning of spirits. You have to have a prayer life because God's not ever going to do the same thing. He may. Most of the time he doesn't. So he said, David, so it says, David inquired again of God. God said to him, go not up. Wow, if he hadn't prayed, they'd have all been killed. Amen? So he said, <clears throat> go not up after them. Turn away from them and come upon them over against the mulberry trees. And it shall be when thou shalt hear a sound of going in the tops of the mulberry trees, that then thou shalt go out to battle. For God has gone forth before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. David therefore did as God commanded him, and they smote the host of the Philistines from Gibeon even to Gazar. And the fame of David went out unto all lands, and the Lord brought the fear of him upon all nations. Now, not only did God get him ready to be a king with the fear of God, operating in that discernment that God gave him, don't do the same thing twice. He got it. And he won two very big battles. Even the Philistines discerned that God had made him king and backed off. God's ways are not our ways. And he wants to teach you and train you to operate in that discerning of spirit, so that you have wisdom how to handle those four things, especially that God wants you to have, the mate, the job, the church, and where you live. It's going to take discernment to get all those lined up. And I remember in Bible college, Dr. Belcher said, once you get your life in these four places, Four ways of obeying God. That is going to be your vestibule of heaven. That's what he said. He said your life will be blessed because you allowed God to do all of that. And that's the true recipe for blessings. So tonight we are going to pray. And if you, how many of you, I want to ask you a question here. And be honest with me. Y'all are doing good. You've really raised your hands over some hard questions. But how many of you have had a situation where God had to teach you to walk in the fear of him. Have you messed up? Has he shown you to fear him? That is a good thing. That's a good thing. That is really a good thing. Because to walk in the fear of God is going to save you from a lot of mistakes, right? So God wants you. And he has a plan for you. And he's got the eye of the jeweler and he's looking for value. He's watching over you, and he sees. And, you know, it says many are called and few are chosen. Why do you think that is? Because they cannot make it through the test that God brings for you to be fine china. Can't make it. 
So you have to decide, are you going to go on and be that fine china and let God look at you through the eye of a jeweler and let him create in you that fear of him so that you operate in that discerning of spirits? Amen, it's worth it. It is so worth it, so worth it. And you need to allow God to do in you whatever it is. Just like David, David learned to fear God. It wasn't easy what he had to go through. Three months of leaving that ark. Can you imagine all the things God was teaching him and talking to him about? I bet it was just something else. He was probably frustrated, angry, and a whole lot of other things. But God got his boy. Got his attention where he obeyed God and operated in that discerning of spirits. Now, before we pray and in closing, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a little quick story about a trip I made to the Philippines. And I was operating. I had moved down in the spirit, and I was going to prophesy. It was a meeting of pa- for pastors, and I like to minister to the pastors there because I don't speak the language, and they would take back the ones that spoke English. They would take back what during the training of a week-long seminar and deliver to their churches a whole lot more than if we visited church after church. So there was this precious man that I was drawn to, and he was sitting way back in the back on the left side. And he was not comely to look at. He was barefooted. Um, Most of the pastors at least had a pair of rubber flip-flops. This man, was his name was Jaime, and he was barefooted. And he had a paper bag instead of any kind of suitcase or anything because they were spending the week for the seminar, and so they had to have clothes. So Jaime had a paper bag rolled up, and he and his wife were sitting back there in the back. And I was so drawn to him. I didn't know if he was a pastor or if he was just somebody that came to the meeting. So, oh, my goodness, I was so drawn to him. And I looked over on the aisle, and the reason Jaime didn't have on any shoes is because his toes were swelled up so big on his right foot that he couldn't have gotten a rubber flip-flop in between his toes. He was so infected. So I walked back to him, and I said, Sir, what is your name? He could speak English enough, to just conversational English. So I said, Sir, what is your name? And he told me his name was Jaime. And he said that he owned a fish farm. So I said, oh, I would love to come and visit your fish farm before I go. And so he said, would you? Would you? I didn't think someone from America would come to see my humble fish farm. I said, it will be an honor to come to see your fish farm. Have y'all ever seen a fish farm? How it's cut up in squares, and in here may be bass. And then the next square, and you can walk on little pieces of land here. And the next square may be a, a cod. You know, it's just fish all over. And he would feed them, get lots of them in there, catch them, and walk up to the front of the road, and he gave them away. Jaime operated in such a spirit of discernment There would be many people walking by, but he would pick out just one out of a group or three of the women that had children, and he gave the fish away. He never sold any of them. He gave them away. So I was going back to 
go to bed. We had seminar meeting the next day. And I said, Lord, who is Jaime? He said, he is my jewel. He is a jewel. He's my special jewel. And I'm going to heal his feet tomorrow. So the next day, after the service, God didn't do anything with Jaime's little feet, but the next day, after the service, Jaime comes to my room, knocks on the door with his little paper bag and holding it, and his precious little wife. And, you know, Filipinos, they were tiny little things. So Jaime says, could we come in and see you, Reverend Pamela? And I said, of course you can come in. So just sit on the edge of the bed. All of a sudden, the anointing comes on me to pray for his little feet. So I said, Jaime, can you turn around and put your feet up here on the bed? Because I want to hold your feet. Oh, no, I am too dirty. I am, I am not anything, someone from America. I said, give me your feet. Oh, my goodness. What do you mean, somebody from America? So I got my oil and just greased up my hands. And I laid my hands on Jaime's little feet. And I felt the presence of God just go in in his feet. I knew God was healing him. The next day when Jaime comes to the morning meeting at 10 o'clock, his feet were all well. They were gone. All the sores, the scabs, everything were gone. So God has something for his jewels in this room. And I want you to stand up and stretch for a minute. You've been a terrific audience. Stand up for a minute and just stretch. We're going to pray for you.